2: It's Rick Tittle!
3: Thank you for that, and it's a TGIF edition of Titillating Sports with Rick Tittle. I am your eponymous host, coming to you from the Sports Byline USA Broadcast Network studios here in downtown San Francisco. I'm just looking at myself on Twitch. I got a little latency there, maybe a half a beat. Godzilla is coming. He will destroy the power plant twitch.tv search for sportsbyline.com there I am resplendent in a hoodie and reading glasses face for radio come on in and get some also uh tune in app iHeartRadio radio app stitcher app those are all good we stream through sportsbyline.com you can go there click listen live any email send those along to rick at sportsbyline.com we're also uh quite privileged to be on the american forces radio network Wherever you're listening, if you're in the military, I'm on your side. You're doing a great job. Stay safe. Come home soon. Thank you for keeping us safe. You stay safe. Uh, See you at home very soon. Keep up the good work. And on your TV sets, forget HBO and ESPN. Boring. Go to CRN Digital Plus 2. The Cable Radio Network Channel 2. Your cable provider, 35 million homes. Homes, that's where the excitement is at. Radio on your TV. That's why Marconi toiled in his lab. And over here on Green Street, Philo T. Farnsworth invented TV. The Russians think they invented TV? The Russians can kiss my beep. All right. Uh, As always, on a Friday in the first hour, we check in with Gian Wall. And we've got some Hollywood types. Uh, We have an Oscar nominee. We have Michael Learned. She won four Emmys tied with Tyne Daly for the most ever. We'll also have Nadine Crocker a little bit later. Sam Levine from Freaks and Geeks and Down. He'll join us and all sorts of surprises. What does that mean? That means I'll play a lot of commercials. That's what surprises mean. Uh, 1-800-878-PLAY. 1-800-878-7529. Come on back.
4: Okay, so we got the chorizo dumplings, the cucumber empanadas.
5: Sara's food truck is popping off. Come
4: on, guys, let's pick it up. But if she
5: doesn't find a new chef, her truck will be
4: stuck. Call crit this morning. So, Jessica, I'm going to need you on the fryer.
5: Indeed can help her hire great people fast.
4: I need Indeed.
5: Indeed you do. Instant Match instantly connects you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your sponsored job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply.
1: 800-905-7186. That's 800 7186
3: All right, thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, coast-to-coast, border-to-border, and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. Friday shows, we always start off the first hour with uh, some very interesting uh, people in the entertainment world, and co-hosting with me this hour is our good friend, Jan Wall. How you doing, Jan?
9: how are you? Guess who I saw last night at the opening of the San Francisco Ballet?
3: I'm going to say you saw Darren Peck.
9: I did. He looked fabulous in his tux, well, very, then, and our intrepid producer. It was great.
3: Well, then you didn't see him if he looked fabulous. <laughs> it was somebody else. <laughs> it was uh, you.
9: You. You were fabulous. Well, wait. We've been told so often.
3: He was waiting, wearing a tux, huh?
9: Well, I'm not sure. There was an awful lot of people there, uh, and they <laughs> were all talking to me.
3: All right, good stuff. Let's bring in our first uh, guest, and uh, it is Alia Volz, and uh, she's here to talk about her best-selling memoir called Home Baked, My Mom, Marijuana, and the Stoning of San Francisco, which is from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. It is a finalist for the National Books Circle Award and winner of the 2020 Golden Poppy Nonfiction Book Award from the California Independent Booksellers Alliance. Uh, Alia, you are a Bay Area native, uh, as am I. What was the genesis behind this project?
10: Good morning to you. Uh, Hi, Alia. I, Oh, hello?
9: Hi, Alia. Sorry, Jan Wall here. I'm just Hi, fan, Jan. Nice so, to meet you. Yeah. Uh,
10: so I grew up, obviously, in this extremely colorful environment. It was a secretive world in the sense that my parents' business in the cannabis world was deeply illegal at the time, and so I grew up keeping a lot of secrets, and as laws changed, I found that it, be, it was time to uh, let it out and also to explore what the cannabis underground really was all about in those days and how it evolved into the booming cannabis business world that we now know.
9: So it was the 60s? Are you talking about the 60s or the 70s?
10: I'm talking about the 70s, so uh-huh. my folks started Sticky Fingers Brownies. My mom started it in 1976, and it, it evolved, it boomed, really, first of all. Um, within a couple of years, they were distributing 10,000 brownies a month, making it the largest business of its kind, the first really high-scale cannabis edibles business in San Francisco. And it evolved when the AIDS crisis hit at the beginning of the 80s into the very dawn of medical cannabis, which leads us to where we are today, where we have access.
9: Wow, that's an amazing story. I remember so many head shops in the 70s, all over, L.A., Atlanta, New York. I mean, there were head shops where you'd that's go in. You wouldn't buy pot, but you'd buy no. all the accoutrements, you know?
10: Yes, absolutely. True. Cannabis culture was an integral part, I think, of many, uh, many types of uh, artistic movements, many mm-hmm. types of political movements in those days. It was very much in the air and a part of the culture. But people forget today that it was a federal offense mm-hmm. to possess even uh, even a small amount of cannabis before 1976. And after that, anything over an ounce was federal. How'd your mom get away with it? Very cleverly. (laughs) Um, My folks' business model was interesting because they didn't sell to passers-by. They didn't sell to strangers. What my mom developed was selling to people on the job in businesses all over San Francisco. So she would go to the Castro, say, and she had somebody in every store and restaurant up and down that block, and she would sell larger volumes to people who were on the job, and then they would distribute them to their social circles. So there was no home base for uh, for the police to discover, for example, and there was no there wasn't the same kind of risk of approaching strangers and not knowing who you're dealing with. I always think
3: it's interesting, from because I'm in my 50s and how marijuana and cannabinoids went from in the 70s where it was like hey man we're getting high we're hitting a bong and then in the 80s it's like well people with glaucoma it helps them and now it is a therapeutic with CBD and TH I mean it's really come around from just being a recreational drug to being something therapeutic
10: exactly and that's what home baked my book traces is the evolution from party drug to palliative medicine and then beyond that to booming cannabis business Uh, I watched as a child growing up in this world, my mom go from dealer to healer, Hmm. from being this rebellious underground figure to being somebody who was getting uh, cannabis specifically into the bodies of people who were, uh, at at the time in the 80s, just suffering and dying uh, horrible deaths with very little medical uh, recourse during the AIDS crisis. Cannabis was soothing. Cannabis helped. So it became more than a party. It became uh, really a mission to help people get through the most difficult transition of their lives.
3: And you think Mm. about that crisis, too. There was as people were suffering, there was not a lot of national sympathy for those people. either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
10: That's exactly true. And there wasn't uh, there was no pharmaceutical really functional pharmaceutical response until 1995. The AIDS crisis started in 81. So for 15 years, uh, there was nothing that worked. I mean, wow. imagine if, if, if we didn't have our, our COVID vaccines within a couple of years, right? It just went on and on. Um, so, wow. you know, cannabis wasn't going to cure AIDS, but it relieved some of the most common and, and worst symptoms. Oh, it there's so many people. ways
9: it relieves people now. Yeah. Uh, in senior centers, it's extremely yeah. important. <laughs> and, and there's just a million ways now. But, you know, if I was your PR person, I would book you everywhere. I mean, this is a really important story, I think.
10: Thank you, Jan. I appreciate that. Um, I really felt, you know, that especially especially because there was this period when cannabis activism and HIV-AIDS activism were integrally. Uh, intertwined right so the reason that prop 215 passed which was the first uh, cannabis medical cannabis law in the country that was built to stand up in in court well that was that was local San Francisco beginning and then California activism primarily to help people with medical necessity, primarily, well, exclusively for that, but primarily at the time to help people with HIV AIDS. So this connection was really important, and I feel like it's been uh, lost to history a little bit, and there's a bit of a debt of remembrance, you know, that we understand where this, this access that we have today really came from. And now we can walk into a dispensary, and we can choose from myriad products, and there are... Bud tenders who can recommend exactly what, what we need if we want something psychoactive or just to help with a particular symptom. There's something for everyone now, and we all have this access. But back in the day, it was wild and woolly and very dangerous.
9: As a documentary filmmaker myself in the past, this screams making a documentary about. <laughs> it really does. I, I just can't wait to get this book.
3: Well, I want to recommend it to everybody. It's called Home Bake: My Mom, Marijuana, and the Stoning of San Francisco. As I mentioned, winner and up for other awards as well from Houghton, Mifflin, Harcourt. And we've been speaking with the author, Alia Volz. Uh, congratulations on the book.
10: Congratulations, Alia. I really appreciate it. Okay. All
3: right. Good stuff. And uh, we will wow. come back with an Oscar nominee. We'll see mm-hmm. if he wins Who on Sunday. Win.
8: Who may win. Take
3: Joe. My word for it. Let's look for it. Joe Rosenblatt. Come on back. Rick Tuttle and Jan Wall
8: the big stuff who do you think you are it's the big stuff
9: you're never gonna get my love now because you wear all those fancy clothes Oh yeah. and have a big fine car oh yes you do now
1: do you love driving but you don't love your car payment Open Road Lending can reduce your car payment by as much as $100 a month or more. It's easy to refinance your car payment. Just call today to get your no-obligation quote and find out how much you can save. To qualify for a lower car payment, your car should be less than 10 years old, have less than 125,000 miles, and you've made at least six on-time payments. Call Open Road Lending today to learn how you can lower your rate and your payment by refinancing. That's 800 1845
13: I'm so disgusted by Rick Tittle that I find him very intoxicating.
3: All right, uh, thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle and Jan Wall with you here at Coast to Coast and around the world on American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show filmmaker Jay Rosenblatt, and uh, he is up for an Academy Award here coming up in a couple days, and it's for the film we're going to discuss right now called when We Were Bullies, and it begins with a mind-boggling coincidence from 25 years ago uh, that led Jay to track down members of his fifth-grade class. Jay, this is really interesting. Tell us how this all got started, please.
14: Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, well, I was making another film. It was called The Smell of Burning Ants, and um, I didn't want to use my voice for the voiceover narration, so I was teaching at the time, and uh, one of my students had a film. I liked the male voice, it, the actor in it. So I asked him if I could get the contact info, and he lived in Berkeley. I was in San Francisco. I brought my three-page voiceover script to his house. He looked it over. He saw one line on the first page that said he was raised on concrete, box ball, stick ball, slap ball, punch ball. These are all New York street games. And he said, are you from New York? I said, yeah. He said, where? I said, Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. He said he was also from there. Then he said, "Uh, what elementary school did you go to? And I said, P.S. 194. And we knew we were the same age. And then he said, who did you have for fifth grade? And I said, turn the page. And at the top of the page, it said, in fifth grade. Turns out, he was in my fifth grade class. Oh, my God. 25 years before, 3,000 miles away, and not only that, he went right to the incident that was the uh, triggering incident for the, for the script that he was reading, uh, which was this bullying episode that happened when we were in fifth grade. So that is the point of departure for this new film, where I track down my fifth grade class to see what they remember of this bullying incident. So it's a film about bullying, but it's also about memory, mortality, about a lot of things.
3: Well, just to, to, to finish up, what was the bullying incident uh, in a nutshell?
14: Well, this is the thing. Everyone has a different memory. Uh, many of us don't have any memories. Some have a very vague memory. My narrator, who became my narrator, uh, Richard, has a pretty detailed memory, and he... Uh, remembers an incident in the classroom where we were kept late by the teacher, and she kind of um, did, I would call, collective punishment. One kid was, she used to have us sit at attention before we could be dismissed, and one kid couldn't really control himself and was talking, so she kept us all longer than usual. So we were kind of all angry um, at this one student, and when we got into the playground, uh, again, this is all Pieced together, and some of it's accurate, some of it may not be. But we surrounded him, taunted him, chanted a nickname for him, may have pushed him around, may have um, just, I, I don't know. I don't know if we harmed him physically, we may have spit at him, but wow. there was some kind of incident that really was not cool at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone supposedly, I thought it was just a bunch of boys that. My memory was it was just a bunch of boys in the class, but he remembers the whole class kind of being a part of it or complicit in this episode.
9: Wow. I am so proud of you. This is Jan Wall, and I am so proud of you because, hi, um, this is a really powerful piece of work, and um, it brought back memories to me of being bullied because I had a speech um, kind of defect that I eventually got over, but... I would Mm -hmm. kill to go back to my fifth grade and say, Look at me now. I'm making a living with my voice, you schmucks, you know. But (laughs) that's not, you know. But it's just, it's a really powerful piece of work. Were you surprised when you got Oscar nominated? Well,
14: you know, I was thrilled. I don't know if I was totally surprised, and I'll tell you why. Um, I do think it's a good film, but I also got a lot of feedback from a fellow documentary. Branch Academy members about how much they loved the film. So I knew that there was some support. So, um, you know, it didn't come out of nowhere. I did a kind of DIY, do-it-yourself campaign of just sending emails asking people uh, if they had the time to watch my film, and I got a really good response. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was so thrilled, but not, not shocked, not shocked. Uh-huh
15: honest
3: (laughs) of you so um for you you sound like you really don't have much memory of this so you don't know if you were a kid that kicked him in the shins or stood on the periphery
14: i think that's that's correct i know i was part of it because when richard my narrator said these details i i I felt some of it in my body and that that made me think that that there's some truth to this Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know how i i wasn't the main instigator but I think one of the things my film is trying to get at is that, you know, without complicity, bullies have very little power Uh as we're seeing, uh, on the world stage right now. Um, and, um, and so, uh, you know, the distinction between being a bystander and being a bully is it's much smaller than I once thought. And I think I kind of, made myself maybe feel better thinking that, I well, I wasn't quite the bully in the situation, but I, I don't make that same distinction anymore. Also, I have to say that, you know, bullying is not necessarily black and white. Many of us, including myself, have been on both ends of it. I was bullied growing up, much more than uh, being on the side of the bully. Uh, in this case, I wasn't, uh, but there were many cases where I was bullied, and so I know how it feels, right. for sure.
9: Rick, do you know how it feels?
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I, I do remember, it's, it's funny because I remember an incident sort of like this. There was a kid who was, was being bullied, and I always stuck up for him, and that one time I was just so sick of him. This was like third grade. I was oh. so sick of him for being so weak that I went over and I just shoved him on the ground because that was almost like... And and he was he couldn't believe I remember the look on his face is like, Wow, even you, Han, huh? I was just like, I'm just sick of you being such a weakling and then I regretted it for like the next ten years.
9: Wow.
14: wow.
3: Yeah.
9: Everybody's got a story on this. This is you really tapped into something that's universal.
14: Yeah, thank you, Jen. I i, I it's true. most of the emails I get, uh people feel compelled to tell me. Right. Their bullying incident. And uh, that was, uh, to be honest, that was one of the goals of the film, to try to keep it as universal as possible, even though it's a very personal story. Um, I think um, people can find space within the film to have their own memories.
9: Well, I think you're going to win the Oscar, so you might want to thank in your acceptance speech. You might want to thank myself and Rick. You might.
3: <laughs> well, what's interesting is that yeah, nominated well, for do best short name? doc. I'll write it down. The one of <laughs> the you, films. What'd you say, Rick? I was just going to say one of the other films that's nominated for best uh, short documentary is The Queen of Basketball, and we had Ben Proudfoot on the show, so we've got we've got two favorites in this, Jan. Mm-hmm.
14: <laughs> yeah, well, Ben, I've been spending a lot of time with Ben recently, and he's a great guy, and. I love his film. I mean, mm-hmm. I think all the films are strong in their own ways. So, you know, um, we'll see what happens.
9: Yeah, uh, you I, never I'm, I'm know what the Oscars. It could be anything. I, you
3: know? I, I want to know about the parties, then. I want to see if you get punched by Sean Penn or something. <laughs> <laughs> you can get bullied now.
16: Right.
9: Speaking of bullies, yeah. No, Sean's a good guy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, think he would do that. But, I mean, when he gets pushed... So he could be that way. But that's uh, okay. that's going to be okay. great for you. you Are going to do that party thing and all that?
14: Well, you know, as a nominee, you get to go. And your nominee and plus one, which is my wife in this case, and mm-hmm. we will get to go to what's called the Governor's Ball. Mm-hmm. Oh, fun. After the Oscars. Uh, beyond that, I don't know if there's any parties in our cards. Did but, you go to uh, the
9: nominee's lunch? I did. What was I that did. like?
14: It was actually quite enjoyable and wonderful uh, it's very um
9: my favorite movie is coda did you see anybody from coda
14: oh yeah
9: that's yeah. my favorite I movie saw
14: the, i saw the director yeah that's oh she's so
9: great oh yeah. she's just yeah. sean Hader is her name she got so she should have been nominated she's so brilliant
3: actually I have yeah. w- we have, I have one last question for you okay. we're getting out of time here whatever happened to the kid dick who got bullied
14: well, um, I'll say this. First of all, I never called him Dick. I, um, that was my narrator, remember that? I had no memory of that. Um, so I, I use a shorthand now just to distinguish between the two Richards. Um, you know, uh, as I say in the film, after the first film, he reached out to me and told me that he was a television producer, um, and he wanted to see a DVD, which I sent to t- sent it to him, and then I never heard back from him, and I took that kind of as a message that maybe he wanted to move on mm-hmm. from all this. Mm-hmm. The first film only mentions him briefly, and I used a different name, so in this film, as you both know, I protect his identity. We don't know who he is, mm-hmm. and I think that, that actually makes the film more universal, and so, so to answer your question, no, I have not heard from him. I wouldn't be shocked at all if I do at some point. Um, but not not yet, um, and and it's fine. I mean, I, I I wish him well, and I I hope I don't. I certainly don't want my film to add to any of the pain he's had in the
15: past.
3: Yeah, actually, we had the guy from Audible too. We've had three of the five nominees oh, on the show. Yeah. Really oh, Audible is really a strong. All yeah, right.
9: Audible could easily... Oh boy, Jay Rosenblatt, well, <laughs> with
3: with recency bias, we hope you win for your film When We Were Bullies, and you can see it on HBO as well, so congratulations on all,
9: congratulations. all that. Congratulations. Fabulous yeah.
14: film. Thank you both. Thank you both.
3: All right, Take good care. stuff. Uh-huh. Jen, did you ever go to the Governor's Ball? Yes,
9: I did. Yes, I did. I was really lucky because I went as a date, which is the way mm. to go. Was
3: that Duke Majin because, or Schwarzenegger? Who was it?
9: Um. What are
3: you, uh, Ronald Reagan. Wait, what? <laughs> Pat Brown.
9: <laughs> it was a lot more glamorous than that, babe.
3: John C. Fremont. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll come on back. We're going to come back with Michael Learned and Jan Wall. I'm Rick Tittle.
2: get right back to you. Sandra, um, those banners come out tonight. Can you pack them? Indeed, those unexpected growth can stretch your business thin. On machine four. Like at Monica's print shop, to fulfill orders on time, she needs to get started hiring right, right away. I need Indeed. Indeed, you do. And the moment you sponsor a job on Indeed, you get a short list of quality candidates from our resume database. Visit Indeed.com credit and get a $75 credit for your first sponsored job post. Terms and conditions apply.
4: You'll see an amazing difference in a matter of days. Don't believe us. We'll offer you a money-back guarantee. If you're ready to start losing weight right now, call right now to learn more about your risk-free order to Body Sculpt.
1: Call for your risk-free offer. 800-738-5332, 800-738-5332, 800-738-5332, that's 800-738-5332.
17: Here's a great way to save money on your prescription medications. If you take Viagra or Cialis, we can give you a way to pay as little as $2 a pill.
13: You must be crazy. Use a D.O.G. And if you was my man, I would have been kicked you out of my house by now. This is what had happened.
3: All right. Uh, thank you for that. Welcome back to the show. Nationally syndicated out of San Francisco, around the world on Armed Forces Radio. Rick Tittle and Chan Wall with you. And it is our pleasure to welcome veteran actress Michael Learned. No one more wore, uh, won more Emmys than she did four times, of course, with the Waltons and others. And now she's working... On a uh, Netflix special from Ryan Murphy and Ian Brennan, working title is "Monster" uh, about uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, Michael, welcome to the show. Um, I-, I love the fact that you never just kick back and retired. You just you just keep on rolling, don't you?
15: Yes, I do. It's, it's, it's a little, little more slowly these days. <laughs> I gather more moths, but um, I'm still rolling. <laughs>
9: wow. That's so weird, Michael. This is Jan Walton. Go from, uh, by the way, Ralph Mm -hmm. Sininski's cousin, who was your director on The Waltons. Isn't that crazy? He's living the good life, Michael. He lives the good life in in Carmel.
15: Well, say hi to him for me. I certainly
9: really loves you. But anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, you go from The Waltons to Jeffrey Dahmer. Is that sort of a big (laughs) jump there?
15: Well, I've had a few in between, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I did play the grandmother of a killer. I seem to, um, I, I think it's kind of fun, but I, I seem to be attracting the darker roles now, which is, I guess as you get older, you're darker or something, I don't know. No more ingenue roles. I never was an ingenue, really. I, I never was that kind of, you know, little, soft, ingenue type Um uh, I was always a
9: leading lady in the theater, so. Don't
15: you
9: love Even that? Even when I was 16. Uh-huh. That's more fun, isn't it? I mean, did you have certain role models, um, Michael, like with, you know, I mean, I think of women like Susan Hayward and Rosalind Russell, and, you know, they were, I mean, Roz was, a, was an ingenue at one point, but, you know, they pretty much developed into these strong character women. That's um, right,
15: yeah. yeah. And uh, I, um, yeah, I, I sat at a table at a the cbs function with esther williams june allison um who's the other one um, esther williams june allison oh and jane russell oh
9: wow uh,
15: three of are the some of my favorite people broads. what's that I'm sorry i didn't mean to speak over you
9: no you should go ahead go ahead
15: uh, there were just three great down to earth broads and i didn't tell them i used to go to all your movies when i was a teenager i didn't tell them that but um I, I just sat there and i thought i am sitting at this table with these three movie stars that i watched every movie when i was a kid and here i am sitting at the same table with them it was, How great. It was awesome yeah gr- that is awesome
3: was it yeah. kind of a weird responsibility to be america's mom olivia Walton, for all those years
15: um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, whenever I did an interview I tried to um I I'd sort of go overboard board to show them all my flaws because you know, there you don't want to create a sense of an ideal that um then when you fall down or when you make a mistake, um, it disillusions a lot of people. So I'm not a believer in a great believer in illusions anymore. Mm.
3: You know, I spent some time in Tring in Hertfordshire, and I I was looking up that uh, that's where you kind of got into your performing arts, right? What,
15: my God, what were you doing in Tring? I had a
3: friend in uh, Harpenden and another one in Hemel Hempstead, so I was in Hertfordshire all over the place.
15: Oh, my goodness. Yes, I did go to boarding school. I was miserable, but it was a wonderful
8: school. <laughs> I was
15: very homesick, and I was probably just neurotic to that. It was a school full of neurotic... Uh, Adolescent and prepubescent wow. children, girls. So we were all kind of very emotional, and but the work was exhilarating, and um, I feel very fortunate that I was trained in England.
9: Ah, uh, so who were your role models? I mean, you mentioned you know Jane and and uh, you know Esther and June, but I mean you must have had some pretty heavy duty.
15: Well, acting. Catherine Hepburn was really ah, okay. and still is. Okay, I, really? I just think, huh. She's a brilliant actress, and mm-hmm. uh, she can do anything, or she could do anything back in the day, mm-hmm. and um, I'm not sure I ever had, uh, I, I wanted to be a dancer, so I, I had crushes on ballet dancers. I, I, oh, my God, so I went to the too.
9: opening of the ballet last night here in San Francisco. How
15: it was, was
9: it? Was, oh, my God, it's Helgi Tomlinson's last show, and so he's a oh, you know he's God. a remarkable dan- um, choreographer. So, anyway, it was it was incredible. But tell me more about the ballet. So that's what you were thinking you were going into, huh?
15: That's what I, yeah. My mother one day, I think she was trying to get rid of me, but we were living in Austria <laughs> because my father was working for the OSS, which was the beginning of the CIA back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't know that, of course. We thought he was just, you know, writing, and we didn't know he was writing secret stuff. But, wow. Um, yeah, he was, and um, he he had a room upstairs on the floor that I was sleeping in the house that we had there, and it was always locked, and the curtains were always drawn, and we could knock on the door, and he'd let us in, but he'd always cover whatever it was he was typing, and we just thought, you know, he had taught us, never look over somebody's shoulder, mm. um, so he was doing all this stuff that we had no idea about, and um, there was a guy that used to come, he was actually an Austrian and I won't mention his name, but um, you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know him anyway, but just in case. And uh, he used to come to the house and jiggle his coins in his pockets all the time. And it, it irritated me for some reason. And I guess I picked up that he was nervous. But um, I said to my father, um, you know, I I really don't like hair, blah, blah. And my father said, oh, yeah, we were going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, how? And he made the gesture of a barrage like that. Wow. And I, uh, I was shocked. And yeah. It was not very
3: nice. Just for jiggling coins. A couple and more questions you know, for... when
15: you a teenage girl, you go, how did you do that? <laughs> bleeding, heart, liberal, and all, the, all Oh, the my
9: God. <laughs> what do people say to you, Michael? You know, when you're working on these sets with all these new kids and everything, on this Jeffrey Dahmer project and all... I mean, do they go back to the Waltons, or do they ask you about other projects you've done?
15: Um, you mean the the, the cast yeah. that I'm working?
9: Yeah.
15: Um, you know, they really don't, but occasionally they're kind, and they say, I really liked your work on that show. And mm-hmm. what Or what, they sometimes ask, what was it like mm-hmm. working with all mm-hmm. those kids? And it was divine. It was heaven. I love I loved them. they're still, we're all still very close. hmm and, um, you know, so it was no sweat at all. It was, it was, In fact, they saved me sometimes because I'd be so tired and the kids were so full of life and vigor and always doing something, you know, while we were waiting to relight. And I'd be sitting there tapping my fingers because I was supposed to take my son to the dentist and, you know, whatever. And uh, the kids would just be making little salt sculptures on the kitchen table or doing something. They were always doing something. That's You're one of the few here. people
9: who've gone from the classic days of television to now. And what what do you what, what's the biggest difference you notice?
15: I'm not sure there's any difference. It's still long, grueling hours. Um,
9: yeah.
15: And, uh, you know, it, it's worth it. It's wonderful. You get wonderful pay, but they own you. And so basically... My 30s were spent on a back lot, um, uh, on the uh, Warner Brothers lot, which is now no longer, the house no longer is there. But, um, you know, you're torn when you have kids and stuff. Now I enjoy it, because my husband comes and visits on the set, and uh, he's a big guy, and he doesn't need me. He loves me, but he doesn't need me. (laughs) And, um, you know, but I was always torn with my kids. Yeah, yeah.
3: What was it like when uh, because I know um did you have a problem with alcohol and the Waltons kind of like brought you out from out of that 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 trouble? Yeah,
15: I I was drinking too much. I was going through a divorce and I was very I you know, I really didn't have a self. I was married at 17, so I was so busy trying to be the perfect 50s wife and a good mother and all of that. But I I kind of lost those years where you're you're supposed to experiment with life and um Figure out who the heck you are, and I, I, I was a mother and a wife. That's what was my identity, which worked for me in the Walters. But um, in my own life, I had to kind of figure it out. And um, I've been married to Peter, who is a wonderful man, for half my lifespan. So suddenly to be on my own, and then when the show took off, it was like it was a big learning curve for me. And I didn't always handle it gracefully.
9: And how did you finally uh, accomplish being sober?
15: Uh, Ralph Waite.
9: Ah, he he was very active in Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm.
15: He said, I'm going to a 12-step program. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, oh, that's wonderful. I'll go with you. I'll support you. That's great. I really think you need it. And then at the end of the day, I was so tired. I said, you know, Ralph, I'm going to beg off for today and take a rain check. I'm so tired. And he put, put both hands on my shoulders and looked me squarely in the eye and said, I think you should come. <laughs> and uh, mm. I, I didn't think I really had that big a problem. I knew that at times I drank too much, but um, I didn't think I had. And, and I'm lucky I didn't go as far as so many people go, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. it was too much for me, and I knew it.
18: Mm-hmm. And my,
15: my, my youngest son once said, you know, Mom, when, when you drink wine, you're not like you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I heard it. Yeah, I really heard it. And so I was kind of um, Donna Reed in the morning and Zelda Fitzgerald after a couple of days. <laughs>
9: <morning>. That's great. <laughs> With a little anti-maim thrown in, probably. Exactly. <laughs>
15: <laughs> the
9: main thing is you got sober. That's what counts.
15: I was really happy. Yeah. It was easy for me. It mm-hmm. was really easy. Yeah. And uh, I just turned to sugar. Ah. And. Uh, that was always my first addiction, anyway, and still is. I love, I love candy. So <laughs> there you go. Know.
9: Well, it's happened to a lot of performers, and you know, there's a real history of uh, issues like that. Whether it's someone who doesn't get sober, like William Holden, or someone who does, mm. like yeah. uh, oh, there's so many who don't. It's almost hard to think of the ones that do. <laughs> so
15: I try not to talk about it too much. No, because it's
9: and, against and the, the reason is I know. because.
15: If you fall off the wagon, you mm-hmm. disappoint a lot of people. But it's been 43 years now for me, and I don't think I'm going mm-hmm.
8: to...
15: I don't even want to, you know. I, right. I, mm-hmm. I didn't like it that much, to tell you the truth. I didn't like going to bed slightly, mm-hmm. bouncing off the walls, you know.
9: Yeah, also hard to remember lines, I would think. You know, you well,
15: I was young. You know, when you're oh. young, you can abuse yourself and still somehow <laughs> keep going. But. Um, right. I don't think I'd be able to handle it now, for sure.
9: Have you seen Coda yet? Have you I seen the film see Coda?
15: A, no, I haven't.
9: Oh, I hope you see it, because you I'll appreciate great uh, acting, and it's got some great acting in it. I can't.
15: I, I know I've read a review, but I can't remember right now what mm-hmm. it's about. I haven't had my It's about
9: a uh, chi- uh, child of a, of deaf
15: adults. Mm-hmm. Deaf parents. A child mm-hmm. of adults. Of deaf adults. Oh, death. No, I haven't seen it. Uh-huh. No, I want to see it.
3: Uh-huh. Well, we'll look for Michael Learned's Netflix series about Jeffrey Dahmer uh, coming out, and um, uh, we just uh, really enjoyed having you on, and congratulations on a great career, which is going to this day, Michael.
9: Oh, Michael, so good thank to you. talk to you. I'll say hi to Ralph for you.
15: Okay, thank
3: you. <laughs> All right, very good. <laughs> and uh, Jan, we'll come back with some last-minute uh, Oscar buzz for Absolutely, you. Absolutely. It's uh, so buzzy. We'll do that next. Come on back.
6: Pricing
1: information. 800-915-9654. 800-915-9654. 800-915-9654. That's 800-915-9654. Hello? You there in the car. Listen, if I was a cop, I'd pull you over and ask to see your insurance. Woo! I bet that would scare the heck out of you. (laughs) But seriously, I still want you to get your insurance papers out. Whoa, that's ridiculous. Look, we all have cars. That means insurance. But newsflash, you don't have to pay a fortune for it. What smart people all over the United States are doing is saving hundreds of dollars hauling AIS insurance. Some of you could be saving up to $600 a year. Maybe with an extra $600, you can get your car washed at least once a month. I mean, come on, look at it. Look, my job is to help you save money on your car insurance. So pick up the phone, call AIS Insurance right now, and get your car washed, please. 800-756-3744. 800-756-3744. 800-756-3744. That's 800-756-3744.
19: bone, and Algae Cal Plus contains all of them, and it's proudly made in the USA. Your calcium doesn't increase bone density. Algae Cal Plus does. Talk to one of our bone health consultants today and see how Algae Cal Plus can start increasing your bone density. Call now.
1: 800-437-8217. 800-437-8217. 800-437-8217. That's 800-437-8217.
16: You're so ugly you could be
1: a modern art masterpiece. 33%
13: 33% sure Rick Tittle is the father of my child, but I'm 100% sure Rick Tittle is a jackass.
3: All right, Jan, we got 2 minutes. How excited are you?
13: I'm very
9: excited actually because I have, you know, a horse in this race so to speak. I really love, you know, how I am. That's why I asked Michael about uh about um Coda because I'm I just am excited that this movie is changing the world, you know, the whole cast went to the White House and they do it Dr. Jill Biden is helping them change laws about uh employment for deaf and mute people. So it's really kind of it's an example of how movies change the world, you know. Uh yeah, they're entertainment and that's certainly entertaining that film coda, but it's also a uh, a movie that's changing the world. So I really love that. And if that wins, it's nominated in three categories and if it wins, um I just think it's going to be emotional, and I love emotional moments at the Oscars, even when they're controversial and weird. And then, you know, like Michael Moore and Vanessa Redgrave, I just love it when it's just completely nuts. And, the, you know, Little Littlefeather. <laughs> and so I'm hoping for moments like that. And then also you've got your West Side Story, your Belfast, you know. You're being the Ricardo, so there's some really interesting stuff, and then there's this overreaching love for Power the Dog, which I don't like, but I think it shows that when the Academy likes something, they really like it. So, um, anyway, so it's just an exciting night, and we have these three outrageous, well, as Michael said, broads, who are doing the, uh, she's right, because they're really funny women, and they're doing the uh, hosting, so it's going to be different and weird.
3: All right, Jenny, have a great time. We'll talk to you next week. We'll see who won. Yeah. All right, good stuff. I'm Rick Thittle. we got another two hours. Come on.
20: USA Radio News with John Hunt. Western leaders meeting in Brussels today agreed to strengthen their forces in Eastern Europe, increase military aid to Ukraine, and tighten their sanctions on Russia as Moscow's assault on its neighbor enters its second month. In a display of unity at an unprecedented triple summit of NATO, the G7, and the European Union, the military alliance announced new battle groups to be stationed at four Eastern European countries. The U.S. and Britain expanded their sanctioned blacklist. Countries announced new packages of military and humanitarian aid and promises to take in refugees. The E.U. announced steps to wean itself off of Russian energy. A sub-variant of Omicron, now called BA2, accounts for over 35 percent of COVID-19 cases in the U.S., according to the CDC. The variant is most prevalent in the Northeast, accounting for more than 50 percent of COVID-19 cases. This is USA Radio News.
21: Thanks, Pat. Call toll-free, 800-630-1490. That's 800-630-1490. Truth is, I believe the government's new war against cash is really a war against us all. But the secret is now out. So please, get and read The Secret War. Again, 800-630-1490. 800-630-1490
20: today. Or at SwissAmerica.com. The CEOs of several major airlines are asking the White House to lift the COVID-19 precautions for travelers, including mask mandates. In a letter to President Joe Biden, Airlines for America, a trade group, wrote, The high level of immunity in the United States, the availability of high-quality masks for those who wish to use them, widespread vaccine availability, and newly available therapeutics provide a strong foundation for the administration to lift the mask mandate. Transportation Security Administration announced last month that it was extending the mask mandate on public transportation until April 18. Federal law gives prisoners facing execution the right to have a spiritual advisor in the death chamber who can touch them, according to the Supreme Court. The ruling came in the case of Texas inmate John Henry Ramirez, whose lethal injection was scheduled for early September, but was blocked by the court to consider his appeal. He said the state violated his religious rights by refusing to let his pastor pray and perform the laying on of hands. This is USA Radio News.
18: Pump up the volume on your published book. Audiobooks generate new readers who love the storytelling format. We all have active, multitasking lives now. With audiobooks, we can enjoy your book anywhere, anytime. Earn more profits. Tell your story to a new audience. Call Audiobook Network for a free guide. We produce your audiobook with professional voice actors and engineers, and then sell your audiobook on Amazon, Audible, and Apple iTunes.
6: Call Audiobook Network at
20: 800-495-1223. Call today, 800-495-1223. There's been a huge leak of information by the Manhattan U.S. District Attorney's Office. A list
22: of names accidentally released by the Manhattan U.S. Attorney's Office contains names of those who are said to be frequent clients of witness Claudia Drury as she testifies against alleged human trafficker Larry Ray. The names included a financier who also pops up in pedophile Jeffrey Epstein's infamous black book, a businessman whose name is on a museum, an ex-New York Supreme Court judge, an international diamond dealer, and a Washington, D.C.-based lobbyist are also included in the 121 names on the list. From the West Coast USA Radio News Bureau, I'm Lance Pry.
20: Evidence is mounting to show that organ donation from dying donors testing positive for SARS-CoV-2 appear to be safe and do not cause COVID-19 in the patient receiving the donated organ. The COVID pandemic exacerbated the shortage of abdominal organs for donation by increasing organ discard rates due to the unclear risk of using organs from COVID-19 infected donors. That study was recently completed by Duke University. Uber has said it will list New York City's yellow taxis on its app, a move that could help the ride-hailing giant overcome a driver shortage in the biggest U.S. market. The city for years has been a battleground between Uber and yellow taxi drivers who have long protested against the company's technology on the grounds it disrupted the industry and limited their earnings. Stay updated anytime, 24-7 at usaradio.com. For USA Radio News, I'm John Hunt. Life
6: insurance is one of those things that just about everybody needs, but few people actually have. Hey, if you die unexpectedly without life insurance, guess what? You'll leave your family with even a bigger mess. Pricing information. 800
1: 915 9654. 800 915 9654. 800 915 9654. That's 800 915 9654.
4: Rick Tittle knows his sports. I hate that guy. I love that guy.
2: Oh my gosh, he's so fine. Rick Tittle brings home the bacon, fries it up in a pan, and then he eats it. Ricky T in the hizzle for shizzle, biznatch.
3: Hey, hey, what you got? What you get? Come on in. Let's get heard. Let's do it. Let's do it. I like that one national commercial where it says, blah, 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 due to the recent pandemic. The recent pandemic? You're not talking about Spanish influenza in 1917? The recent pandemic. Aha. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking yesterday with Chelsea Day, and uh, she's a sports psychologist, and we were talking about how one of the reasons... It's fun to root for the underdog and schadenfreude. We don't have that word in English. That's where you really get a lot of joy seeing the misfortune in someone else. And I definitely had some of schadenfreude when it came to Gonzaga losing. I hate Gonzaga. That's why I asked Chelsea, who's a Michigan or a Ohio State lady. I was like, you're rooting against Michigan, right? She's like, well, I want the Big Ten to do well. I'm like, shut up. Actually, said you don't care about the Big Ten, and she's like, I'm right. Hmm. He'll say, Well, Rick, the West Coast Conference, it'll give your conference a. <laughs> it's like saying, I'm running for the Patriots because they're in the AFC like the yung. <laughs> Would never do that. Screw Gonzaga. You gotta laugh. That's six times they've come in as a one seed, and they haven't won it. They got to two finals. People said this was their best team ever. Yeah, right. It always makes me laugh when I see a a bracket and somebody writes Gonzaga winner. If you write Gonzaga winner, you don't understand the West Coast Conference. It sucks. And yes, Gonzaga's good. But they're not going to win a national championship. At least not this year. All right. (laughs) 1-800-878. Play to get in we got Luke Gafiri coming on the other side. We have the lovely actress Nadine Crocker. We have Sam Levine, Freaks and Greeks, Inglorious Bastards, another teen movie, all that. Mr. Schmodown will join us as well. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back.
2: Let me get right back to you. Sandra, um, those banners go out tonight. Can you pack them? Indeed, those unexpected growth can stretch your business thin. Like at Monica's Print Shop. To fulfill orders on time, she needs to get started hiring right, right away. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. And the moment you sponsor a job on Indeed, you get a short list of quality candidates from our resume database. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get a $75 credit for your first sponsored job post. Terms
5: and conditions apply.
4: Wait, aren't these all charitable donations?
5: At Magda's tax prep, every person I'd counts. Not
4: have to file for an extension. She
5: needs new auditors to maximize returns on her family time. On
4: deductions. Hey, can someone help with these 1099?
5: Indeed, can help her hire great people fast. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. Our hiring platform instantly connects you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Visit indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Right now, sports betting is the
6: fastest growing industry in the world. To consistently cash tickets at the sports books, it's best to be armed with the right plays from the best
20: sports bettors in the business. That's what you'll get at AgainstTheNumber.com. At AgainstTheNumber.com, you'll get specialists with
6: decades of experience betting multiple sports at a high level and many sports specific packages from the NFL to college basketball, to cricket, to soccer, to the European tour that gives you a consistent edge on the sports book for a highly skilled, reasonably priced team of premium sports handicappers focused on one thing and one thing only beating the books at their own game. Visit against
20: That's against the number.com.
8: Titillating Sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle is a genius, the best show ever. He's so wonderful, genius, the best show ever. He's so wonderful. Titillating sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle is a key. So handsome. He's a genius.
3: All right. Welcome back to the show. Hour three underway. We got Nadine Crocker in the next segment. Sam Levine. Uh, at 40 after, but it's 12 after. What does that mean? Well, you know what it means. It's time to check in with one of our friendly prognosticators at AgainstTheNumber.com, which is a highly skilled team of premium sports handicappers focused on one thing and one thing only beating the sports books at their own game. They cover every sport worldwide from the NFL to college basketball to soccer to cricket to tennis to European hockey, and all of them are proven winners. They offer full season, end of current season, one month, one week, one day, and one year specialist-specific packages. Their prices are reasonable, their tracking and distribution process is simple, and their results are real. Joining us is our friend Luca Fury, a very aptly named prognosticator in the sport of mixed martial arts. Luca, welcome back to the show. I guess Jorge Masvidal ran up. In Miami, Sucker punched Colby Covington, and now he could be facing some felonies. What's going on there?
23: Yeah, well, obviously, uh, that beef definitely ended up being real. There was a lot of people wondering if they were just pretending for the cameras to try to hype up that fight. Well, obviously, that is a very, very real beef. And it's unfortunate with uh, what's happened to Jorge because he was on top of the world just a few fights ago. He was one of the biggest stars in MMA at that point. Everybody loved him. He was on a nice win streak, and now he has lost a few fights in a row and now having problems outside the cage. So that's just kind of how it goes, unfortunately. There's always usually a very quick turn involved.
10: No
3: doubt about it. All right, um, we've got some uh, big events coming up here in uh, Columbus uh, tomorrow night and uh, Bledis versus Dalkus headlines, some of them. How do you see that one?
23: You know, Curtis Blades, I think, is an incredibly talented heavyweight who might be, if you look at his individual skill set and his athleticism and his size, he might actually be the best heavyweight in the UFC on paper. The problem is, is he's always had trouble putting everything together once he steps into the cage, and he's lost to fighters who he was doing well against, he lost to Derek Lewis in a fight that he probably should have won. He lost to Francis Ngannou as the almost 3-1 to favorite last time out when they fought, so He's had expectations upon him that he has not quite always lived up to, but I do think that he should probably get the job done here. He's facing a fighter coming off of a loss, this is a five-round fight. He's bigger. He's a better wrestler. Even on the feet, which is uh, Dacus' best area, that's actually an area where Blades is, is, Blade is very good himself. So if he doesn't get knocked out, if he doesn't get caught with something big, he really is the overall better fighter, and I think he should get the job done by stoppage on the ground with ground and pound. However, in his last fight, which was the first one coming off the knockout loss to Lewis, he was completely gun-shy. He looked very bad there despite winning. So there's definitely some concerns I have going into this one. Is he potentially a regressing fighter at this point? But on paper, he is significantly better, and I think he should get the job done by finish.
3: Look at the flyweights, Oskar Oskarov and Kai France. And whoever wins this will probably be the... Contender, and you think about Figueiredo and, and and Moreno there as well, but Oscarov uh, undefeated uh, so far in 14 fights. How do you see this one?
23: It's effectively a striker versus grappler matchup. Askarov can actually do a bit of striking. He has some decent punches and some decent kicks, but he's not as effective as uh, Kai is. Kai is the more effective striker. He's more powerful. He's more dangerous. So, Effectively, you're getting a striker versus grappler matchup, and I think probably the grappler is going to win here. I think Asgraff should probably get takedowns. Probably doesn't get a finish, but I think we'll get enough of them to uh, win a a tidy judge's decision.
3: Matt, the Immortal Brown, and Brian Barbarina. uh, I think, what is Matt? He's over 40 by now. What do you think?
23: Yeah, This is definitely about timing, and if they were to fight a handful of years ago, even maybe just a few years ago, I would favor Matt Brown, but as you mentioned, he is getting up there in age, and not only that, in fight years. He has so many years of wear and tear on him. He's been in so many wars, taken so much damage, and his durability has really gone down the drain in recent years. And Brian Barbina, basically him, his M.O. as a fighter is he's never the more technically skilled of the two fighters when he steps in the cage. He's just extremely tough. He's durable, aggressive, fights at a high pace, never stops moving forward, has pretty good cardio as well. And so I think this is a situation where Matt Brown is the better fighter, but I just don't think he has the durability to go 15 minutes in Barbarina without getting hurt at some point. So maybe Brian is going out there and losing to begin with, but I think at some point he just starts hitting Brown with some stuff that he can't take and probably finishes him.
3: Many years ago we had the Fox TV came in our studios and got on national television. We were doing a fight, and one of the participants was Matt the Immortal Brown, which I think is a uh, kind of a jinx nickname. But... I'll just tell you a little story. Um, My little auto-tune rejoiner, Matt, off the air, said, uh, hey, that's pretty cool. Where'd you get that? And I go, oh, it's a little app. And he's like, is it free? I go, it's 99 cents. And he goes, "Uh, I'm not giving him another dime. So so Matt the Immortal Brown didn't want to pay a dollar for an app. I just thought I'd throw that out there. And then he lost the fight. Uh, Neil Magny and Max Griffin, what do you think? So Neil Magdy
23: is a guy who also tends to not win fights where he's necessarily the better technical fighter. He's had a lot of times where he'll get beat up early on, survive, come back to rally. Uh, There's times where he just tends to struggle against opposition where even you think that he actually should be the better fighter. He's a slow starter, and he's a guy who just sometimes has a little bit of trouble putting it together until he gets beat up a little bit. But in this situation, he's facing a guy who does tend to slow down, so that's good for him. He's also facing a guy who's not a particularly potent offensive fighter. Max Griffin has some pop in his hands. He's dangerous with some elbows in the clinch, but he's not like a great knockout threat. He's not a great submission artist on the ground. He tends to actually go to decision and go a little bit longer in his fights, which plays right in the hands of Neil Baggi. So, man, he has a big reach advantage, a height advantage here. On the feet, I think he can probably keep a bay enough to survive, and then once he gets on the ground, he's going to have an advantage, especially if the fight goes late. So, Look for Neil Maggie to maybe lose round one, maybe struggle a bit early, but eventually take over.
3: And then finally, Bellator revealed its bantamweight World Grand Prix bracket. Sergio Pettis pulled out. James Gallagher pulled out as well. So I'll just go real quick and see if any of them. Juan Archuleta replaces Pettis. He'll go against Rafion Stotts. Um. Uh, Leonardo Higo versus the winner of Hornell Lugo and Debbie Sabatello. Patchy Mix versus Kyogi Horiguchi, and then Magomed Magomedov versus the winner of Josh Hill and Enrique Barzola. Any of those move the needle for you?
23: Uh, Horiguchi versus Patchy Mix definitely the one that stands out the most. Patchy's an upcoming prospect; he's a good fighter, and Horiguchi's been around a long time. He's a veteran; he's been a champion, and multiple organizations fought for the title in Bellator. All that. The problem with tournaments, though, is, as you mentioned, with some of the pullouts, tournaments have never really worked that well in MMA unless it's been the one-night tournament that, say, Pride Fighting Championship used to do back in Japan, where then at least you get the tournament done in one night. But when you have these situations where you have to rely on a dozen fighters over the course of a year to not get injured, to not be pull-out, to not something happen, it just never goes according to plan. Scott Cooker, who runs Bellator right now, has done these tournaments in Force before, and this would always happen as well. Dan McCormick actually won their heavyweight tournament as a, a late entry. He wasn't even supposed to be in it. So tournaments are great in concept, great on paper, but they just usually don't pan out in MMA, which is why they usually don't take place anymore. But Bellator keeps trying
3: them. Are you a fan of sumo, by the way? Of sumo? Yeah. I am not. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to see the fat guys throw themselves at each other. Not enough skill there for Luca Fury, our guest, from AgainstTheNumber.com. Good stuff, man. Have a good weekend.
23: Hey, thanks so much for having
3: us. All right. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll come on back with Nadine Crocker on the other side.
6: 800-754-4531.
17: Und jetzt das Platznehmen der Amerikaner! An
9: Igel Nobel Neide, Hupfer Kim, Hupfer Kim, Hupfer Kim, An Igel das ist meine größte
15: Freude, das war sogar mein Mitleid.
13: drink in that haterade and bow down to Ricky T, y'all.
3: Okay, what the hell kind of show is this? Rick Tittle with you, nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome the lovely and talented Nadine Crocker, writer, producer, director, actress, talking about her upcoming film called Continue. It will screen at the CineQuest Film Festival on uh, April 3rd, uh, alongside on their uh, online platform, Cinejoy, uh, as well. Nadine, uh, welcome to the show. And from what I understand, this is a, uh, a, it's a personal story and, and somewhat autobiographical, right?
24: Yes, it is.
3: Take me through it, please.
24: Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, and the film is based on... Um, My life and my history with suicide running in my family and losing my grandfather in that way, and then um, basically me living and surviving through my early 20s, and um, I took an attempt on my own life, and I survived that attempt, and pretty much every day since, I've been so grateful to be on this planet and to be here with you today. And That is what started this process of continue and wanting to bring continue to the world so that people who know how it feels to feel like I have and like I do still, you know, sometimes know that they're not alone and that other people feel these same ways too.
3: Well, you're right. We've never had more awareness from mental health be you know like when I, I'm in my 50s when I was growing up it would be quit crying you sissy and and now it's you know much more uh, much more people are sympathetic and empathetic to it as well so for you since you brought it up and you want to talk about it you had a suicide attempt was this like a chemical imbalance or was this just deep dark depression
24: Um, honestly deep dark depression deep dark depression that you know will probably be with me my whole life and that I work my ass off too you know, make sure that I make it on the other side every time, you know, with therapy and, and talking about it and support and support groups and, and, and all of the things. And I agree with you. I think it's becoming a much bigger conversation. I think people are making it more regular to talk about these things more often, but I would like to see that increase in a huge way. Um, you know, especially after the pandemic and the statistics are rising and, and it's, you know, no longer just middle-aged men. It's our youth. It's it's a lot of people. A lot of people are going through these battles.
3: How hard is it to, for people judging book by, by a cover? Because they'll look at you and say, oh, she's, you know, successful. She's educated. She's healthy. She's beautiful. What does she have to complain about? And they don't understand uh, what's going on inside your head. Is that hard to kind of impart that?
24: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's been a lot of my life and, and those exact thoughts and those exact views from outsiders looking in is half of why I felt so isolated. I felt like no one understood. And it also made me feel like, you know, I hate to use this word, but like a freak. It was like, why, why don't, okay. So apparently I'm the only person who feels this way and, and I'm not supposed to feel this way because I look this way or I am this way. And, the truth is, is it really doesn't matter what you're saying on the outside. it's all about what you're feeling on the inside, and you know, I'm also Native American and Irish, so from genetic like you know, from the get i I knew that there would be battles and there would be battles with substance abuse and and just different things, and you know sobriety and a lot of those different things changed my life. but yeah, that's that's half of it. A lot of people from the outside think they have it all figured out, but you have no idea what people are going through on a daily basis or what my life has actually looked like. You know, I've gone through a crazy amount of trauma in my lifetime too, you know, which I think is also a lot less rare than we think.
3: Just exploring your your heritage, when you say Native American Irish. So you're saying you have a propensity for fire, water, and whiskey. Is that is that what you're getting? At? <laughs> yes,
24: <laughs> exactly. And a long family line of um, alcoholism in my in my family as well. So,
3: well, yeah. You said uh, a couple answers ago that it's going to stay with you forever. Is that sort of? Like, you know, I know in alcoholics they say, even when they've been sober for 20 years, they still say, I'm an alcoholic. Um, Why do you think that the depression will stay with you and you'll never be rid of it?
24: Because I think it's something, uh, I don't know, I, I, I guess I wonder that sometimes, if it's something that just some of us have or all of us have or some of us have just like a, um, you know, a, a bigger attraction to that or it's just more prone in their lives. But I just know that, you know, most of the people in my family, um, it's never really just gone away. And and I have this entire line in the movie. It's funny that you compared it to, you know, alcoholism or different things like that is where I say an alcoholic is always going to want to drink. And the exact line is, in the girl with bulimia is always going to think about going to the bathroom after a steak dinner. But with sadness, it just has a way of creeping in. And that's the truth of it all is, is it sticks with you. It'll never really fully go away. And, um, and it's something that I'll always have to really pay attention to, you know, and, and to say that like, you know, my twenties, I'm lucky that I survived. It was very brutal then. And I was very lost and and all of those things. But to pretend that now in my thirties, I don't still have those days or those weeks that come up where I'm sad and, and it's hard, you know, life is hard though. And I think that that's why we can also all relate is that sometimes shit just really stacks up against you, and and you know that's just how life can be, and so sometimes those those lulls creep in of depression, you know.
3: So for you, um, I think you alluded to this, but but uh, just to to emphasize, because you have hit rock bottom, the you know a sunrise um a cup of coffee um you know a a child laughing these you feel these more these are bigger moments for you now cuz your perspective on everything
24: it's funny i just feel like rick you get me <laughs> it's it's true yes i i find now sometimes it feels like my heart could explode i just i hold i have a 5 year old which is crazy to me that he just turned 5 And I hold him some days and I just can't even imagine a world where I never had him. I never held him. I never knew him. I never knew the people I had in my life today. I never made this movie. I never helped anyone else by being honest about my depression. Everything has a different meaning, you know, and once you see my film, you understand it more because the whole message is you have no idea what is around the corner. Everything could change, everything. You've got to give it one more day. And, th- and that's really what my message is, is, you know, you can't give up and your life. It means something and, and people love you. And a problem that seems so heavy today could feel relief tomorrow. You know, you've got to give it one more day.
3: So speaking of the movie continue with some great co-stars, Emily Deschanel, Dale Dickey and others. Tell us a little bit about what the plot would be.
24: Um, Yeah, I mean, the plot is all around Dean, um, my character, and it starts with her taking an offense on her own life and um, the beautiful process, which is (laughs) re-emerging from rock bottom and and putting your life back together and, and I guess, redefining who it is that you want to be and figuring that out and finding your people along the way. and you know, love, all of those things. It's like, it it makes life worth living, community, you know, being open about how you're feeling and all of those different things. It gives people a new opportunity to become, to know you on a deeper level and to relate to you and to be a part of your life, you know, and, and that's pretty much what this film is about, that community and that we're never really alone and that we may feel that, but there are others who love us and and when we do try to take our own life, those people that you love that you don't want to hurt, those are the ones who are in the most pain. You're gone, you don't know you know the the people who are left behind are the ones that have this giant hole you know where you once were, and so that's pretty much what this film is about, you know reinventing and and redefining your life from rock bottom and and putting one foot in front of the other and living.
3: Yeah, you know, I've heard the saying before, if you're going to shoot yourself, go shoot everyone that loves you first, because that's basically what you're doing.
24: Yeah, it couldn't be a truer statement. I come from a family of suicide. That That suicide defined my life long before I even knew how much it was going to define my life. You know, it changed my father's life in every single way. He gave up on his dreams. He gave up on, you know, so many things that he loved because he didn't know how to heal from that whole and there's questions that are never answered you know and and that that is what this film is and that is why it's so important to me because what you said couldn't be a truer statement it's it's not the ex you you're trying to get back at it's not the job that let you go it's not any of that shit it's the people who love you and who can't imagine a day without you on the planet you know and those are the people who actually suffer you're gone
3: Filmmaker Nadine Crocker is with us, the writer, director, producer, actress. The film is called Continue, and uh, as I mentioned, uh, CineQuest Film Festival on April 3rd, alongside their online platform, Cinejoy. And uh, just knowing your experience, not just in the industry, but with uh, life, I'm very much uh, looking forward to seeing this, Nadine. Congratulations on the project.
24: Thank you so much. It means so much to me.
3: All right, good stuff. Nadine Crocker, everyone, and... um, (laughs) You know, it's funny because I think about uh, talking to so many filmmakers over the years um, and trying to put their own situation onto film and have it be something, you know, and then for her to play herself as well. That's got to be very, very heavy stuff. All right. Speaking of film, we'll have another movie star on the other side, and we've had him on a couple times before. It is Samuel Franklin Levine. You might remember him from Freaks and Geeks. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Byline.
8: Who's watching Tell me? Who's watching?
6: Who's watching me?
17: Call Pharmacy Shop 24-7 to get generic versions of Viagra or Cialis for as little as $2 a pill, plus free discreet shipping.
1: 800-709-4409. 800-709-4409. 800-709-4409. That's 800-709-4409.
4: No offense, but are you a little fat when you look in the mirror?
13: Rick Tittle once threw a tennis ball at a donkey.
3: All right, I did, uh, and I feel bad about it. Welcome to the show. Rick Tittle with you, nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world on American Forces Radio Network. We've had him on several times before, and it's great to have him back again. It is uh, Sam Levine, and he is here because he's getting ready to uh, take on another person who's been on my show many times, and that is Marisol McKee in the Friday Night Titans special pay-per-view event for the old uh, schmowdown here. And uh, Sam, this is going to happen at 4 o'clock out here in, in California. Are, are you getting nervous?
25: I, Rick, I am so nervous. She is a monster. She's the, the toughest competitor I've ever played in the schmowdown. I don't know why I came back, and I don't know what possessed me to think I could take on Marisol McKee.
3: Well, that's because you're the movie star and she's not.
25: Well, I mean, sure, but that one thing has nothing to do with another. You know, I mean, there's plenty of guys who play sports who don't know anything about the trivia aspect.
3: No doubt about it. And by the way, you know, going back to Freaks and Geeks, I was thinking about it. How much was Neil Judd Apatow?
25: Um, a bit. There was definitely a lot of pretty much all of the, the nerdiness of the writer's room and, and our executive producers in Neil uh, so yeah, a fair amount, you know, if you like the, uh, George Costanza was, uh, you know, Larry David kind of thing. I guess Neil was probably a lot of
8: Judd, yeah.
3: A little bit there, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. so I'm always interested in, and I remember talking and I can't remember what Marisol told me, but it was her most hum- humiliating thing that she forgot, and it really wasn't anything that bad. It wasn't like, you know, she forgot Darth Vader's name or something, sure. but for you, What was the one that just eats at you to this day that you blew it? You know, there are so
25: many that bug me. uh, But the one that's the weirdest is uh, I think I was playing in a match against the the legendary Dan Merle. And they asked, like, you know, who plays uh, Agent Smith in The Matrix? I think that was the question. And I started writing Hugo Weaving because, of course, I know who does that, who plays that. And I literally started writing H U. And then all of a sudden, my, it was like I had a stroke because my brain just <laughs> stopped sending signals to my hand to keep writing. And I literally wrote H-U, and then my hand just went, no, we're done. That's it. No no more effort from us. You're on your own. And, like, I literally, I could not bring myself to physically keep writing his name. And then I ran out of time. And what? I don't know what happened.
3: So you liter- literally... You were kidding, but you kind of did have a stroke.
25: I really did. Like, I should have seen a medical professional after that.
3: <laughs> now,
25: where I'm are... happy to say it didn't decide to match, but
3: still. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that literally was a physical and virtual choke, huh?
25: Yeah, it really
3: was. All right, um, we also have tonight William Bibiani and Chance Ellison, Ooh. the beast versus the cobra. How do you see that on the outside looking in?
25: That is a really tough one to call, uh, but I, I learned a long time ago not to bet against the Beast Bibiani, so I I have a feeling it's going to be close, but I'm, I'm going to say he's going to edge out the victory there.
3: Now, because you were in Inglorious Bastards, do people just assume you're an expert in all Tarantino films or, like, all Judd Apatow films, things like that?
25: I think people do assume that, and I mean, I happen to be, but that... Uh, you know, I was already uh, Quentin's biggest fan long before I ever got to work with him, uh, and uh, and kind of similar with Judd. I mean, Judd had worked on the Larry Sanders Show and the Critic uh,
12: mm-hmm.
25: and the Ben Stiller Show, among other things, before mm-hmm. uh, I ever worked with him. And I was familiar with all that. So, following those guys in their and their careers and their work is it's secondary to the fact that I uh, I got to you know play in the sandbox with them.
3: The other day, because um, it took me forever just to get Larry Sanders on on DVD, and I'm in my 50s, and I was telling kids these kids today, you know, these kids the under 30, I, I said, you, mm-hmm. now that it's streaming, you got to watch Larry Sanders. It's the it's the the greatest show ever, and they're like, eh, I mean that show that show. I said that the and I tried to tell them celebrities come on and they play themselves and they make fun of themselves. It's genius. It's great.
25: It was one of the greatest shows. I I look forward to that more than anything when that show was airing when I was younger, because uh, my folks would let me watch it. They were awesome. Uh, There's so much they didn't want me to watch, but that one was cool. Uh, yeah, no, that show is great. And if anyone is listening to this who doesn't know what it is, please seek it out. Please watch at least the first few episodes, and I promise you'll you'll be into it. It's really really fun.
3: Now I'm always interested when I you know I think about Fort Lee, which is you know it's right there on the Hudson, so. How much of it, because I'm from Oakland, and people say here in San Francisco, uh, bridge and tunnel, but that originates with you guys. Did you? So did you get the whole bridge and tunnel thing, or did you feel more like a Manhattanite?
25: I mean, I definitely, uh, honestly, I didn't feel bridge and tunnel until I moved to L.A. Mm. People would say, oh, where are you from? And I would say, oh, the New York area. And they'd say, oh, well, where? And I'd say, oh, well, Fort Lee, New Jersey. Oh, well, you're from New Jersey. <laughs> well, you don't know. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, on Freaks and Geeks, John Daly, who was from, like, like New York State, like, like a, an hour and a half away from Manhattan. Where are you from, John? New York. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. That's not. I was in the city every day every day <laughs> I slept in New Jersey but come on people uh so when I was when I was younger it bothered me but now it's fine I mean now I've learned to embrace the garden state we've got Bruce Springsteen we get Kevin Smith we got Bon Jovi hmm. Suck it Manhattan <laughs>
3: <laughs> Sam Levine is with us talking about the Friday night Titans schmodown pay-per-view tonight um you know when I I, I think about the preparing for such a thing like this, do you get into the minutiae of like getting a Leonard Malton book and just start pouring over every movie ever made, or do you just try to be like more serenity now and just just let it come to you?
25: It's a mixture of both for me. Um, you know, like I think the, the the reality is I've played enough matches at least you know several years ago that I was able to sort of identify what areas of movie trivia I wasn't as strong in. So I definitely made a concerted effort to fill in those gaps. Uh, so that's, that's the hardcore studying. That's where I'm, I'm on IMDb. I'm on Wikipedia. I'm watching movie trailers. I'm, I'm trying to burn movie posters into my brain you know, with films I'm less familiar with. Uh, but after that, it's like, all right, I, like the day I have a match, I pretty much don't do anything studying-related. I just sort of know, all right, whatever is in there is in there. I'm not cramming anything thing in there at the last minute. So what I know, I know. What I don't, I don't. And Let's try to have some fun.
3: Do you, what? What's the one question that you got that you thought, I mean, come on, because, you know, there are certain things, you know, characters and lines and scenes and things like that, where they'll say what cereal was on the shelf, and there was only <laughs> three seconds of that shot. What's the question you got where you're like, ah, oh, shut up?
25: You know, there was a match I had years ago, I think it was against uh, Mark Ellis, and uh, it wasn't so much the question I got, but it was for the same point value. He got asked something like, you know, who who directed Titanic? And then, okay, Sam, for the same point value, the 1933 Marx Brothers film Duck Soup, Groucho represents which fictional country? (laughs) And I happened to know the answer, Uh. but Still, I was not pleased.
3: What was the fiction? It's Fredonia, by the way. Wow. Fredonia. I love that movie. It's been a while.
25: Yeah, it's a great movie, but I was like, that is ridiculous that these are the same point value. Shame on all of
3: them. All right, well, speaking, I was asked you, like, which one did you, you know, you talked about your stroke. Which one was your shining triumph where you're like, I can't believe how smart I am.
8: <laughs>
25: um, you know, I I wish I could, I could even tell, I, I
3: Come on, you know what? There was
25: one. I mean, okay, so we had the free for all, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a couple years ago, uh, and uh, and there was a, there were a couple big moments in that, and one of them was uh, the great Mark Andrego cleared the table, but then I also cleared the table. It was less exciting because of you know the, the the Titans weren't all at my table at the same time, but I was the only one who remembered the very important plot specific detail to in the movie Demolition Man where does the outlaw Simon Phoenix get his weapons from in the future?
3: And the answer was?
25: And the answer is in a museum. Ah. There you go.
3: Very well. By the way, when you were doing, I'm jumping around here, but when you were doing Freaks and Geeks, could you have imagined Martin Starr growing a beard and being the cool guy on HBO? (laughs)
25: <laughs> I'm afraid I could I, People would ask me at the time I would always say The actor farthest away from his character Is Martin And at the time The person closest to their character Was Sarah Hagan Who played Millie
3: <laughs> That's right um, I just I remember hearing Judd say That the studio Or whatever the, uh, the network said We don't like James Franco His mouth is too big
25: Yes, that was a note Where they didn't <laughs> want to hire him In the first place <laughs> <laughs> if I recall, that was what they said, yeah.
3: How hard was the, uh, the audition process for you, or were you handed it?
25: Oh, God, no. I had to, I had to really jump through a lot of hoops on that one. It was my first big job, so they, uh, I, I read for it a, a couple times in New York, flew out to L.A., did, you know, like a work session with a bunch of different actors and Judd and Paul, and I'll say this, they only made us, uh, you know, it's, it's called a network test or a screen test. They only made us do that in front of the network. Normally on a pilot, you have to do that a couple times, but they they took mercy on us because we were all kids, so they uh, they only made us test in front of the network. But even so, you know, flying to L.A., I'd never been before, you know, going to NBC studios and working with all these people and then going in and performing in front of a room of, you know, 35 network suits. That was, that was nerve-wracking.
3: I got to say, when I think about that show, the one moment that always sticks with me was the look on your face when you are riding your bike around with the garage door opener, and then the oh, gra- yeah. and the garage went up.
25: Oh, that's a tough one. Now, let me tell you why that's really tough. Is that is uh, kind of loosely based on a real story that happened to one of our writers, mm. uh, where he he really did think his dad was stepping out, and he found this garage door clicker, and he was living in a suburb of chicago when he got on his bike and rode all over town with that clicker and unfortunately in in reality he did not find the house but eventually he confronted his dad and his dad admitted it
3: all right well on that happy note we want to make sure everybody checks (laughs) out the friday night schmo down special pay-per-view event it's the titans and uh two of our favorites here they're going head-to-head lady justice marisol mckee and the inglorious one sam levine this is at patreon.com slash schmodown s-c-h-m-o-e-d-o-w-n and so recency bias i'm rooting for you tonight sam
25: (laughs) well thank you very much rick (laughs) i promise tonight will be more fun than that last story i just told
3: (laughs) i brought it up all right hey thanks a lot sam and have a good weekend buddy
25: my pleasure thanks you too Rick. all
3: right i'm rick tittle we'll take a quick break we'll come on back on sports byline
13: Call Rate Genius now.
1: 800-811-7913. 800-811-7913. 800-811-7913. That's 800-811-7913. Not all
19: applicants qualify for a loan or rate savings. Actual offer terms, including APR, are determined at the time of your application based on creditworthiness, value of the vehicle, loan term, and other factors. Come
16: on, you watch the news. Be prepared to pay more taxes. Then, if you owe back taxes or haven't filed in a few years, get ready.
8: You're
1: crazy,
8: you're crazy,
1: man. You're crazy. I
8: like you, but you're crazy.
13: saw Rick Tittle at the laundromat last night, and I was hella checking him out. I just kept staring at him, and he played like I wasn't even there. I be like that then.
3: All right, I'm sure you really liked my Elite Eight breakdown today. And um, tonight, well, tonight, 4 o'clock, Purdue, St. Peter's Peacocks. In Philly, a home game for the Jerseyites there. Speaking of Jersey, which exit? Gotten State. Purdue favored by 13. No one believes in St. Peter's Peacocks or St. John's Wart. Kansas will be hosting Providence College. The Friars gets them Jayhawkers. Kansas is a one seed. We still have a one seed left in the tournament. They're favored by Seven. Those games will be concurrent. Uh, Well, 20 minutes, um, the Purdue game will start before the Kansas game. And then tonight at 6.30 out here, um, and then actually at 10 o'clock at night, East Coast, geez, Uh, but we'll have UCLA hosting North Carolina. These are two heavyweights. If you think about all the national titles they've won in their history, and um, North Carolina is the underdog by two and a half and then Miami plays Iowa State. No one thought this would be an Elite Eight matchup because Iowa State is an 11 and the Canes are a 10. The U are the favorites by three points, and then we will get to the final four. It's funny, I saw all these people with Arkansas uh, clothing walking around San Francisco yesterday, and it reminded me that we did have the Elite Eight here, and then I didn't even watch the game. They go, oh, you hear about Arkansas? I go, how about they lose by it? They go, like, oh, no, they won. I'm like, they won? Good. All right, have a good weekend. We'll see you Monday. Whoa, see you Monday, 9 a.m. Pack time, y'all.
20: Radio News with John Hunt. Western leaders meeting in Brussels today agreed to strengthen their forces in Eastern Europe, increase military aid to Ukraine, and tighten their sanctions on Russia as Moscow's assault on its neighbor enters its second month. In a display of unity at an unprecedented triple summit of NATO, the G7, and the European Union, the Military Alliance announced new battle groups to be stationed at four Eastern European countries. The U.S. and Britain expanded their sanctioned blacklist. Countries announced new packages of military and humanitarian aid and promises to take in refugees. The E.U. announced steps to wean itself off of Russian energy. A sub-variant of Omicron, now called BA2, accounts for over 35 percent of COVID-19 cases in the U.S., according to the CDC. The variant is most prevalent in the Northeast, accounting for more than 50 percent of COVID-19 cases. This is USA Radio News.
21: Thanks, Pat. Call toll-free, 800-630-1490. That's 800-630-1490. Truth is, I believe the government's new war against cash is really a war against us all. But the secret is now out. So please, get and read The Secret War. Again, 800-630-1490. 800-630-1490
20: today. Or at SwissAmerica.com. The CEOs of several major airlines are asking the White House to lift the COVID-19 precautions for travelers, including mask mandates. In a letter to President Joe Biden, Airlines for America, a trade group, wrote, The high level of immunity in the United States, the availability of high-quality masks for those who wish to use them, widespread vaccine availability, and newly available therapeutics provide a strong foundation for the administration to lift the mask mandate. Transportation Security Administration announced last month that it was extending the mask mandate on public transportation until April 18. Federal law gives prisoners facing execution the right to have a spiritual advisor in the death chamber who can touch them, according to the Supreme Court. The ruling came in the case of Texas inmate John Henry Ramirez, whose lethal injection was scheduled for early September, but was blocked by the court to consider his appeal. He said the state violated his religious rights by refusing to let his pastor pray and perform the laying on of hands. This is USA Radio News.
18: Pump up the volume on your published book. Audiobooks generate new readers who love the storytelling format. We all have active, multitasking lives now. With audiobooks, we can enjoy your book anywhere, anytime. Earn more profits. Tell your story to a new audience. Call Audiobook Network for a free guide. We produce your audiobook with professional voice actors and engineers, and then sell your audiobook on Amazon, Audible, and Apple iTunes.
6: Call Audiobook Network at
20: 800-495-1223. Call today, 800-495-1223. There's been a huge leak of information by the Manhattan U.S. District Attorney's Office. A list
22: of names accidentally released by the Manhattan U.S. Attorney's Office contains names of those who are said to be frequent clients of witness Claudia Drury as she testifies against alleged human trafficker Larry Ray. The names included a financier who also pops up in pedophile Jeffrey Epstein's infamous black book, a businessman whose name is on a museum, an ex-New York Supreme Court judge, an international diamond dealer, and a Washington, D.C.-based lobbyist are also included in the 121 names on the list. From the West Coast USA Radio News Bureau, I'm Lance Pry.
20: Evidence is mounting to show that organ donation from dying donors testing positive for SARS-CoV-2 appear to be safe and do not cause COVID-19 in the patient receiving the donated organ. The COVID pandemic exacerbated the shortage of abdominal organs for donation by increasing organ discard rates due to the unclear risk of using organs from COVID-19 infected donors. That study was recently completed by Duke University. Uber has said it will list New York City's yellow taxis on its app, a move that could help the ride-hailing giant overcome a driver shortage in the biggest U.S. market. The city for years has been a battleground between Uber and yellow taxi drivers who have long protested against the company's technology on the grounds it disrupted the industry and limited their earnings. Stay updated anytime 24-7 at usaradio.com. For USA Radio News, I'm John Hunt.
6: you ever met a single person in your life that enjoys paying taxes no no one does if you can't sleep at night because you have a huge problem with the irs i've got some free advice for you this service is strictly limited to individuals that owe the irs ten thousand dollars or more in back taxes and if you qualify we can guarantee that you won't be writing a big fat check to the irs or our services cost you nothing
1: That's 800-391-8713.
24: Rick Tittle knows his sports.
2: I hate that guy. I love that guy. Oh my gosh, he's so fine. Rick Tittle brings home the bacon, fries it up in a pan, and then he eats it. Ricky T in the hizzle for shizzle, biznatch.
3: Welcome back to the show. Nice to have you with us. Two more hours to go. 1-800-878-PLAY. The secret code. Some would call it a toll-free line. I'll call it a phone number as well. Get on in and get heard wherever you might happen to be. Remember, it's Friday and Lent, so you have to eat fish. Dealer, dealer. Looking at the uh, Indianapolis Colts, they have not had the same quarterback start the season since fifteen sixteen with Andrew Luck, because Andrew Luck started the season in 16. The next year was Scott Tolzien because Luck was hurt. And then Luck came back in 18 healthy, and then Luck quit right before 19, so was Jacoby Brissett. And then the next year, Phillip Rivers was a starter, and then the next year, Carson Wentz was a starter, and this year, it's going to be Matt Ryan. How are you supposed to have any consistency when it gets to that? I don't know, but these are the things. The, the quarterback carousel that has been going around in the NFL is, uh, it's going to take me a while to get used to it. The uh, Denver Broncos stadium caught fire today. Some of the luxury suites are on fire. And it kind of reminds me of the when uh, Fred McGriff was traded to the Braves from the Padres basically giving the Braves the National League West and, um, had a, uh, they called him, instead of the crime dog, they started calling him the fire dog, but they were at Fulton County Stadium, and just the the luxury suite level was just billowing out with flames and smoke. Remember that? I sound like Chris Farley. Remember, remember that time when you... Okay. Uh, tune in app, iHeartRadio app, Stitcher app. I'm on Twitch, pointing at the camera right now with about one half second of latency. I never had a latency period, Woody Allen. Uh, also, um, tune in. I already mentioned that. CRN Digital Plus 2, Cable Radio Network Channel 2. Cable provider and 35 million homes. Get that as well. We have Jody. It's either Rin or Ran. Maybe it's Ran. Huh? It's probably Rin. We'll find out. Also, Luca Fury this hour as well. But We'll come back with some. Oh, Luca Fury's next hour. Whatever. Come on back either way.
5: Hi, it's Rick. I'm at the Smith's home. Where's Donnie? Leaves and autumn bookings pile up for Rick's gutter cleaning service. He's out? Ah, come on. He needs help before his bottom line gets clogged. Okay, well, what about Christiana? We still got six houses today. Indeed can help him hire great people fast.
22: I need Indeed.
5: Indeed you do. Instant Match instantly connects you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your sponsored job description. Visit indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Searching for fun ways to spend your tax return? Boats for cats. Oh, flotation devices for cats. Don't waste it all on something silly. Spend smarter with Straight Talk. Get our Silver Unlimited plan for $45 a month with unlimited high-speed data and 5 gigs of hotspot data on the nation's largest, most dependable networks with nationwide 5G. If you're looking to get the most out of your refund, your search ends here. Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. See terms and conditions at straighttalk.com.
3: Check me out. That is what we're really trying to get across here. 1-800-878-PLAY. To get in, we have a free segment. If you'd like to chime yourself in, girl. Real quick, though, I want to let everybody know that it is time for today's Bank of America Cash Rewards Player of the Day. Pascal Siakam matched his season high with 35 points as the Toronto Raptors tightened the Eastern Conference playoff race by defeating the Cleveland Cavaliers 117-104 on Thursday night. Toronto, 41-32, snapped a three-game home-losing streak and tied Cleveland for the sixth-best record with nine games to go in the regular season. Cleveland had won all three previous meetings with the Raptors this season, so the Cavs hold a tiebreaker over Toronto and retain possession of the number 6 seed in the East. That is the last guaranteed postseason spot, with teams finishing in the numbers 7 through 10 spots headed for the play-in tournament. Siakam's six made three-pointers matched his career high. He shot six for seven from long range. And that's today's Bank of America Cash Rewards Player of the Day. We now go to the Long John Silver's Worst Player of the Day. Oh, we're not doing that anymore? The USFL um, came out today with some goofy rules. Maybe they're not goofy, but they're going to start here in April. Spring football. Would you like some foosball in the spring? Most notably, I think, is a departure from the old PAT, which, of course, remember a few years ago they put in. You can go for two if you want. And then they go, if we want one, now we're going to move it back. Well, here's the thing. You can try a kick from the 33-yard line for one point. You can run a play from the two-yard line for two. Okay. Or you can try a scrimmage play from the 10-yard line for three points. That means a touchdown now can get you nine. That means a two-score game would be 18 points. The overtime format is also going to be different. Each team will alternate plays from the two-yard line. If you get it, you get two points. Each team will get three attempts. If the game is still tied, they'll continue until there's a winner. There's sudden death. But obviously, if you do your two and get them both and they do their two and get them both, there's no reason to go a third time. It's almost like penalty shots on hockey. Um, The USFL will make it legal to throw two forward passes behind the line of scrimmage. I don't really know what that would look like. So you could – you drop back, you throw it to a running back, and then if he's behind the line of scrimmage, then he can throw it. I don't know. I I guess you can try to come up with that. They're also going to get rid of a legal man downfield. So uh, if you're a lineman, just run. (laughs) But if you're pass protecting, you're not going to be running downfield. Where that gets involved uh, most of the time in the NFL are screens. And as someone who played at the collegiate level, it's three beats. You go one beat, two beat, three beats, one Mississippi, whatever you want. You dump it. And if you're a lineman, it's block, 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 go. Go. And so if you block, block, and the quarterback's like, and then he throws it, well, your linemen have already broken. They're already downfield because they think you've thrown it. Um, The league offers a second option to onside kicks too because, as we know, onside kicks are almost impossible to recover. The kicking team can run a 4th and twelve play from its own 33-yard line. If they convert, if they don't, the other team gets the ball on the 33. That's actually kind of interesting. Uh, All kickoffs will be from the 25-yard line. No kicking team member can line up further back than one yard. Receiving teams must have eight players between the 35 and the 45. If the kick travels 20 yards... The first touch must be by the receiving team. If there's an untouched dead ball, the receiving team gets the ball at that spot. So it's basically a punt, which is stupid. Um, Replays. Each team gets one per game. Once again, one per game. And I love that because that'll keep you from throwing the flag on second and six and did you get a four yard reception? I'm like, come on. All right, yeah, it's gonna be third and two if you get it. Are you really gonna risk a timeout over that? This has to be some egregious, horrifying thing. It's like, no, 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 no. This will change the whole game. Here's my red flag, right? <clears throat> uh pass interference, at least defensive pass interference. Within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage, it's a spot foul. And then beyond that, it's only 15 yards. You could throw a 80-yard bomb if you could throw it that far, John Elway. But if there's PI, it, you only get 15 yards out of it at the most. Um, also, if the pass never gets past the line of scrimmage, there are no pass interference penalties. That means if somebody bats the ball down at the line of scrimmage, you can basically mug the receiver. <laughs> now, does that make it more watchable? I don't know. I I think the the one that intrigues me the most, I think, is the onside kick rule because, you know, you look, you know, you're down by 21 in the fourth quarter, okay. There's six minutes left. You score a touchdown. Okay, now you're down by 14. Are you going to kick off and hope that your defense gets the ball right back? Because all you need two scores now. You might try that 4th and 12 from your own 33. If you don't get it, you're going to lose anyway. A 4th and 12. And then you would see, what would you see from defenses? You would see a ridiculous prevent. You would see everybody line back. Or would you bring the house? See, that that's what I would do. I would try to play probably maybe just a – because I don't think there's going to be any tricky play. Well, then again, who knows. But the old little throw the ball five yards and hope the guy gets the rest of it. <laughs> Can you get eight more? I always hate that. Can you just run to where the flag is? go a little bit past it and turn around. That way you know you have it. You don't have to squirm and fight for it one way or another. So, <clears throat> I kind of like I kind of like that one a little bit. But for me, the the favorite one that I ever saw in these goofy 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 leagues is in the XFL when they would put the ball down at the middle of the field and then they would say, ready, go. And then everybody would run a hundred miles per hour to get the ball. Or I guess it was two guys and whoever got it, got the ball. <laughs> but then again, this, this isn't, you could say this isn't football. I mean, it is football, but it's just a different Brisand of football. And, um, I'm not so starved for football that I have to watch it because now if the Oakland invaders were back, I I probably would change my mind, but it's it's the New Jersey generals and the Philadelphia stars and the new Orleans breakers and the Tampa Bay bandits. I don't know flipping channels someday, eh, maybe, but now I'm not going to plan my, I'm not going to plan my day around it. Not like I will with, Jody Wren coming up next on Sports Byline USA. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back.
1: That's 800 1845 That's 800-905-7186.
21: It says
8: 100% guaranteed, you moron. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100%
17: of your ass.
8: So hard to beat every time she walks down the street another girl in the neighborhood Wish she was mad she looks so good i want to hold her want to hold her tight yeah, get kicks right
13: night rick tittle's got a black belt in keeping it
3: real all right uh welcome back to the show and uh, if we get our guests we'll throw her on the air or is it a hymn Jody is she or a he? Do we know? Um, we'll check. <laughs> That's what happens when you have one of them pat names. You know the World Cup is going to be in Qatar. Um, I'll, I'll live to be a hundred. I'll never say Cutter, and uh, I'm not going to live to a hundred, but still Cutter. You got to get to the World Cup. I watched USA Mago yesterday, and that was the Estadio Azteca. The United States has never won a World Cup qualifier there. We won some Gold Cup games. You might remember the Roy Wagerly game or the Eric Winalda goal. But uh, never a qualifier. And um, the uh, we were able to get a goalless draw. Oh, matriarch. Okay, that means Jody's a girl. If she's a matriarch. <clears throat> um, I understand my Latin. So Jody or Rin, I'll ask her when she comes on. You mean you don't watch the show, Rick? But the thing that's most shocking was that in Europe, we had some playoffs. Now, the Ukraine was supposed to play Scotland. I don't know what's going to happen with all that. How is the Ukraine supposed to play a game? That was postponed. But in UEFA, which is the European governing body, they had playoffs. And so it was a one-game playoff, and then you move on to play another uh, playoff team to get to the World Cup Finals. And Italy lost to North Macedonia. Italy has now missed out on two straight World Cups. Italy are the European champions. You might remember a couple of years ago they beat England, and England cheated their way into the final with Raheem Sterling diving against Denmark in the semifinal. But it went to penales. <clears throat> Harry Kane hit his. But uh, Saka, Bak- Bakayo Saka, and I forgot the other guy who missed But uh, Italy won the European – so the European champions will not go to the world championship. But to miss out on the World Cup for eight years, you got to wait four just to go. It's hard enough as it is. But the way I look at it, you're missing out for 12 years. Because as an American, I've missed out for eight years because they didn't go to Russia. Danny, is this Russia? didn't go to Russia for Putin's World Cup in 2018. So that's eight straight years without the World Cup. The Italians will now have at least 12 years without a World Cup. And the Italians had 36 shots on goal. And North Macedonia couldn't even get out of their own box. Time and time and time again, they had chances that went begging. Time again. And then in the second minute of injury time, North Macedonia keeper just boots it almost the length of the pitch. It lands two Italian guys like, you got it or you got it. They had brought in Chiellini to shore up the defense there, help out, make it stronger. And what happens? A goal, a beautiful goal hit in and disaster for the Azzurri. All right. Quite happy now to be joined by Jody Wren from Pig Royalty Season 2 now on Discovery+. Plus. And uh, Jody, first of all, you say Wren, you don't say like the French like, is that right?
26: Well, it's actually pronounced Reen, like green without the G.
3: Reen, so okay, so I'm, German. O- I'm O for 2. <laughs> <laughs> Jody Reen on your TV screen. On Discovery Plus, it says season two. Uh, there's more drama than the competitions. Well, what kind of drama are we talking about?
26: Oh my gosh! I mean, you you just have to keep watching. And and what what a lot of people don't think about when they're watching this is this is really our lives. You know, we really really go through these things, and 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 this season was was really hard for us. Really tough one, so you'll just have to, to watch to see what's coming.
3: now, what the hell's up with the bolero family?
26: Oh gosh, who knows <laughs> who knows
3: Can you explain a little bit about little you got a little Hatfield McCoys going
26: yeah, we do and and it's crazy you know we don't get to watch the shows until you until the world gets to watch the shows, so even as I'm sitting on my couch watching sometimes I'm still like. They said that? Oh, my gosh. You know, like, it, it, I, I'm still amazed. And, and we actually spoke before all of this, and I thought everything was fine. And, you know, through half of the season last year, I thought everything was fine. And then I watch it, and it's like, whoa, <laughs> what, what the hell, you know? So a lot of it is, is shocking as well to me.
3: So now, where, where are you in Texas, may I ask?
26: I'm actually west of San Antonio, about an hour and 15 minutes between the Mexico border and San Antonio.
3: So what's that, Bernie?
26: No, we're in Sabanel. Have Sa- you ever heard of the Frio River?
3: I have not. I'm sorry. Okay, the, the well, we're... The Frio River?
26: The Frio River. Frio. we actually...
3: The cold uh, river. Frio
26: as in cold. I'll yes. say
3: Frio Agua, gotcha.
26: Yes, yes, yes. We are actually t- about ten fifteen minutes from there, which is a, a tourist hotspot here in Texas, and and we have quite a quite a gathering of people during the summer.
3: Well, so now people understand pig shows. Uh, what happens at pig shows?
26: Well, you know the the best way to describe it for someone who doesn't know what they're watching is it's kind of like a dog show. You know, you're going there to present this animal that you have raised and fit on and cared for for, you know, up to six months, and and to present it to try to see if you have the best pig. But then part of the competition is, do you have the best showman showing that pig as well?
3: Uh, I remember going to a state fair and they had piglet races, and it was just about the darn cutest thing I ever did see.
26: Well, I have to tell you, Cannon's favorite time of the year is farrowing, which is, you know, when the mamas give birth. And he will literally just sit in the farrowing crates, and they just crawl all over him. They're the cutest, cutest, cutest things. But within six months, they're 300 pounds.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Now, are you, I mean, I've always been amazed at at, uh, farmers who can get a pig, raise it, name it and then say, okay, time to make bacon. Uh, do you guys have to go through that horror?
26: Unfortunately, that is part of the deal. Um, it's, it's still very hard. I mean, they're, we treat them, they live better than we do. So when we have to let them go, it's, it's hard. And a lot of times when you see Cannon crying on the show, that's what it is. He doesn't like seeing them go. So It's hard every year, but, but then he'll always have a new favorite, and and we start all over again.
3: I know someone who grew up in Leander, Texas, just outside of Austin, and they had a pet pig named Bartholomew, and, and this little girl at the time, she called him Mr. B, and Mr. B went everywhere with her for a couple of years, and then one day they were eating breakfast, and the brother teased her and said, this is Mr. B, and she said, no, it's not, and the parents said, it is Mr. B.
26: Oh. No. Well, I have teased my kids about things like that. You know, before, you know, when you're culling pigs and there's not so great ones and you have to get rid of them, we would, you know, take them to the market. Well, right beside the market was this beautiful golf course. So for years, I told the kids, hey, look at that beautiful place where your pig's going to go live. (laughs) So yeah, that's that's hard sometimes, but but it's part of it and it's why we do what we do, uh, you know, to feed America.
3: So are you now drunk with fame? Like people come by and they want selfies and autographs?
26: Um some you know, you can tell when people are staring and they recognize you. Some people will come up to us, some people won't. We had a discussion as a family before all of this started that If someone walks up to you, I don't care if it's your worst day, you smile, Mm -hmm. speak to them, take a picture. So we try really hard to to stand by that. You know, we're very humble people. This is not going to change who we are, what we do. So, you know, don't be afraid to walk up to us.
3: Well, Discovery does such a great job of finding people like you who are interesting but who don't get big heads, and that's why I want to let everybody know that Pig Royalty started streaming on the 16th, Season 2. It's a Discovery Plus original. Make sure you check it out with Jody Rean down there on the Frio River in the Lone Star State where the stars at night are big and bright. Jody, congratulations on the show, and thanks for coming by.
26: Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me.
3: All right, I appreciate it. I have a friend who saw, um, she saw the video online of a, a little piglet being held under a faucet and the piglet is laughing and laughing and laughing and sounds like a kid laughing and said, I can never eat bacon ever again. And then the people say who they work in the slaughterhouses that when the pigs are slaughtered they sound like people screaming. Let me get that baconator on the way home. All right, I'm Rick Tittle, come on back.
13: Rick Tittle thinks there's a direct correlation between dogs and lightning.
3: All right, thank you, uh, and welcome back to the uh, show. Yesterday, I uh, saw a picture that Matt Kawahara, uh, a guy I know, very good writer, very shy, he um, took a picture uh, at spring training, Rangers at A's, And I I just I saw the lineup and I just tweeted out. I go, could you could you imagine paying to see this? Pache in center, this guy Kelly at DH that the Rays cut, Loriano on right, he'll be suspended, Austin Allen behind the plate, Eric Thames at first base, Kevin Smith at short, Sheldon Noisy at third. Billy McKinney, their former first round pick, and left. Nick Allen at shortstop. And Sean Manaya on the bump. Whew. You know, we used to joke double A's. Uh, well, I said we used to joke triple A's, more like double A's. Whew. So. <clears throat> It's uh, I, I put it on special and some people are like, I'm going no matter what, because I'm a loyal fan. Unlike you, Tittle. I I didn't say I wasn't going, but I do get in free. Um, that has to be said. <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of people said I'm not going until Fisher sells a team, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just looking at Facebook. Roberta says no. In other words, she won't pay. Michael says, Murderers Row, the few buddies I know who still have season tickets have finally given them up this year. This team is as good as gone to Vegas. And then Keith responds that saying, Translation, I'm not actually paying attention to Howard Terminal Project, which has backing but all of two members of the Oakland City Council. Why do folks keep posting this nonsense when they know folks are going to check on them? Uh, Keith, I'm sorry. They're not going to Howard Terminal. It's not going to happen. Steve put the picture up of the Oakland Athletics saying, "I believe," with the signing of Stephen Vogt, and he wrote, "I believe the A's are not so good a lot." Little Jerry Lewis line, "I don't feel so good a lot." Liam says, "Don't forget, Hall of Famer Stephen Vogt is now on our roster again. Championship parade, here we come." So Stephen Vogt got cut. Four years ago because he sucked and he was old, but now he's good. Adam says, Dear Sir, on behalf of the Brooklyn Athletics, I would like to inform you that we have signed Stephen Vogt. He happens to be a World Series champion. Well, not really. I guess he was on Atlanta's books. Did he get a ring? Didn't play. You will now pay three times the price of admission. If you would like to complain further, we will stop selling beer at our venue. I think Panda got a ring, didn't he, for the Braves? I think he did. Uh, Matt says, they've raised your ticket prices to see this. Kanzel says, he needs your money. Crack costs bank, you know. Oh, there's no punctuation. Uh, Gabriel says, good luck with that. And then uh, David responded to that with a GIF of them putting in a uh, anyway it's a swear word uh jacob says they'll be lucky to draw 2000 a game <clears throat> uh michael says the joy of seizing seeing a 100 plus loss season for the next 3 years all pass uh Jorge says triple your money from last year uh anthony says this is the equivalent to tanking just for Vegas to easily get them there, buy low, sell high. And then Keith says, you're not paying attention to the HT project, LOL. And Anthony says, yeah, kind of like the bull-ass renderings and plans that were submitted for the Raiders. Oh, yeah, I thought they were supposed to move to Fremont years ago. They are as good as gone. And then Keith says, you live in Mountain View, homie. What happens in Oakland doesn't concern you, so don't worry about it. Um, I know Keith, and Keith fights like hell for the A's, but uh, Keith, you're wrong. John uh, put, who are these effing guys? GIF, another GIF, Kevin Motley, it is was it what it is? Larry says, Jesus, folks, lighten up, it's spring training, and you'll see all types of names on a lineup card. You have no idea if any of these guys on the TGE card will make the I think he meant the 40-man roster or the 28 who will head to Oakland. Just remember this. Matt Olsen and man Chapman were unknown, unproven players the first day they stepped on a spring training field and no one knew what they'd become. Now that's hilarious. <laughs> they were. <laughs> they were both first-round picks. <laughs> they were unknown. <laughs> Why do these people who kiss butt, why do they, why do they say, why do they, I I just, I don't know. People, there are some people who just love bowing down to authority. (laughs) Oh, oh, I like it. Now, how do I fix this? I had a. Oh, edit. I misspelled something. I'm like Bill Burr looking things up on the Internet while he's doing their podcast. Unknown. Unknown, unproven. <laughs> Larry says, um, the other guy does make the most sense of any of these fools in this chat. They must all be Giants fans. Yeah, that's it. Before you speculate, let the season play out for blank's sake. Most of you don't go to the games anyways. And of course, they'll cry because nobody's there. Manuel says, and I'll still do it. That's just me, though. Marcus, who I played high school football with, he says, I'm out. Dolfo says, that's horrible. Mike says $45 bleachers to see a double-A lineup. Uh, Don't forget $40 for the parking. $80 parking at the Giants game. Is that correct? Wow. $35 for dog and beer. So now you're at $125 to have to sit and watch a SE team to watch some promising up-and-comers. Yeah. Now they're, they're, they're gone and they stink. They stink. By the way, Penny likes the fact that uh, I had Michael learn it. She said, such a great actress. All right. Well, I, I'm, I don't want to use a whole segment reading a Facebook page. I do want to get to this, though, I think is interesting. There is a report right now that there are five NFL teams calling about Colin Kaepernick. What? He's been out of football for five years. But the other day he put out a video saying, look at me, look at me, I'm throwing. The trainer who's training him is named David Robinson, the admiral. And he had a throwing session with him in Dallas. By the way, Cap's 34 years old. And Robinson told that bastion of sports journalism, the great TMZ, right? Kaepernick definitely has the ability to play on somebody's roster. Like a couple of the guys that were in the session that were on NFL teams were saying his arm is just as strong as guys that we got on our roster right now and can play. He looked real good. And so Robbins said, a few teams have reached out to me and asked how his arm looked. They have reached out and asked about him. So they said, which teams? And he said, 'Uh, I can't tell you. That kind of sounds like John Stockton. I have a list of hundreds of athletes that have dropped dead because of the vaccine. I'm like, wow, if that's true, please tell us. No, nah, I'm good. <laughs> what? That's pretty important. If the vaccine is making people drop dead on the field, hundreds. I know one guy in the 70s that for the Lions that dropped dead. It was tragic. It was horrible. Hundreds? Can we see the list? No. So this guy, he looked great. How many teams reached out? Five. Which ones? Can't tell you. Look, it's been a busy month for Cap so far. He's been flying around the practice looking for anybody to have a practice with. He went from Phoenix. He went to New Orleans. He went to Dallas. He went to Atlanta. He went to Seattle. Throwing all over the place. He was at Morehouse College last week in Atlanta. He met up with Justin Fields and Tyrod Taylor. Josh Dobbs out there throwing it around. And I remember being on the field in Oakland, and the Raiders stunk. And the Niners were kind of good. And the Raiders won that game. And I remember Harbaugh had a frown on his face, and Kaepernick was warming up, and he had a pair of pink Beats on. And I remember him watching him run the length of the field, and he covered 10 yards or I should say five yards and two strides. So 10 yards and four strides. I mean, he's huge. I watched him when he was at UNR at AT&T park and he played in a bowl game there and he was throwing some worm burners at that time, but everybody was interested in him because of that pistol offense that Chris Alt had, and he was throwing for 5,000 and running for a thousand <clears throat> And I brought it up before, I had him on this show the day before the draft, and I said, there's rumors Raiders are Niners, and he's like, oh, sir, that would be amazing, sir. I think a lot of these guys, you know, Tyrod Taylor, Justin Fields, they meet, well, maybe not Taylor, but a guy like Fields meets him and thinks, oh, my gosh, this is a civil rights icon. And Kaepernick's like, thanks, but I'm also a football player. And then they're like, eh, not really. <clears throat> and he's like, no, I am. You are? I mean, we've been hearing Pete Carroll for five years, right? John Schneider. Kaepernick was interviewed by the Seattle Times, and they said, so you think the the Seahawks will finally pull the trigger since they have no one? Drew Locke. And Kaepernick said, still waiting for that chance, still hopeful. There's been a lot of conversation around it. Again, we've had conversations with Pete and John previously. As Pete mentioned, we have spoken recently, and I'm hoping that door is open and I get a chance to walk through it. Kaepernick said the best way to tell is to bring me in for a workout. We have no expectations of what teams will do, but we just want the opportunity to walk in the door and show them what I can do. And I think my talent, my skill set will speak for itself. So the Seahawks seem like a team that makes the most sense. And they already got one rave review from Tyler Lockett and and then Fuller said, I'll put something in their ear. T-Lock will, too. I'm going to put in a good word. Look, remember, Pete Carroll said before that Kaepernick deserves another shot, except he says, I don't know where that is. And then he said, I don't even know if it's in football. I <laughs> will right, we'll keep our eye on it. I'm Ertittle, Come on back.
1: That's 800-693-8290.
11: To me, it's like a mountain. A
8: vast bowl of pus.
13: Tittle beats his servants.
3: All right, a couple minutes left now. We're number two. One of the first NIL moments of March Madness has come out, and it's for, of all people, Doug Edert from St. Peter's Peacocks, the man, the myth, the mustache. He's come off the bench to help them beat Kentucky, their first ever win, a 15 over a 2, and then to beat Murray State. They're heading home to play at Philadelphia against Purdue this weekend. Of course, Philadelphia is right across the Delaware from New Jersey. But this guy Eater, this kind of dorky dude with a bad mustache, Buffalo Wild Wings has him now as an official spokesman. And Barstool Sports has his own clothing line, Dougie Buckets. And it's got him with his tongue out, and it's a caricature of him. uh, And they're selling hoodies and shirts. He says, thank you for all the love and support. Keep it up by visiting the link in my bio. Help yourself by growing a mustache. Hashtag stash is cash. Hashtag hashtag fear the stash. (laughs) She sells seashells. So how about that? Hell yeah. Buffalo Wild Wings, your own clothing line for two wins. Let's do it. How come the white guy gets all that stuff? I'm Rick Tittle, come on back.